So, welcome back. Hey, it's good to be back. Thanks good to see you, man. How uh, how's things going? Like it's it's only been a couple of weeks, which is good. So we're pretty fresh in our conversation, but things are going well. Uh, a lot of busy stuff going on. Um, since I last talked to you, had my band. We released some music on uh, Spotify and all the other stuff. Um, nice. We and then I mean I can talk a little bit about that later, but uh, also uh, my project, the the highlight project. We are getting ready to finally debut debut it at a, a thing a couple of weeks from now. So oh, we have nice. another deadline. We're buying a bunch of merchandise right now. Um, well, we have to design the merchandise first and then we have to place the rush orders and everything. So it's, it's hectic, man. Wow. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a lot. I'm, I'm really excited about highlight becoming something that people can check out. So that's uh same here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think literally as long as I've known you, you've been working on it. So it's <laughs> probably true. Probably true. Yeah. <laughs> Technically it's been like six years, but you know, as far as, actual man hours would probably put like two year two and a half years into it nice because we've had but so many other things you know along the way yeah yeah wow hey one quick question i don't remember did i do the dev round of questions with you last time where no, I, we were gonna hold off on that right? we held off okay cool yeah that was all right our, cool our decision all right so what I want to kind of do, at least at the start here, we've got a lot of things to cover because, like, we've got to definitely talk about that. We can talk about your music stuff. I do want to have a little bit of kind of a talk of your progression through your career and kind of like each step and kind of what you worked mm -hmm. on and, and and how you got to where you are today. And I know we we touched on a, some of the stuff here and there, um, but I want to make sure people kind of grasp like you did this and then that resulted in in moving on to that, you know, that kind of thing. So why don't we start with, uh, like, what was the, the first project that you worked on in, in a semi-professional capacity? In a professional capacity? Yeah, I would say it was probably once I got my internship, if we, if we want to talk about professional, because I made a bunch of, like, you know, uh, RPG maker games, and I would mess around with, like, um, various uh, engines. Like, I actually got... Somehow I got my hands on like a hacked like GameCube dev kit. Oh. And it was real bare bones though, because it was like a pirate type thing. Oh. <laughs> and like my, my debug statements would be like I knew how to make the controller vibrate. So I would put inside of like if it went inside of like a conditional loop, I'd have it vibrate the controller. So I knew that it was going in there. You know, this real hacky stuff. Nice. <laughs> um but uh when I went to I went to UCF for uh studying technically it was digital media right but emphasis on uh, game design and like something about the classes uh i'm just gonna say i i wanted up being the only person who could code in all of my classes okay and what happened was it was not good for me because i had to do all the work and i could never be on the creative side but my instructor they they noticed that and they were like hey we're actually firing internally at ucf would you like to be a part of that and I got hired for the for a game engine, or to be sorry, to be a part of their games division. It was a military sim group, and it turned out they for the next eight months they had no game division, huh. and so I was stuck on projects that I wasn't really agreeing to be on. Right. So what happened was I wound up working on this project that kind of it's kind of like Ender's Game, where imagine um, the interface of like Starcraft, like a, an RTS. Okay. Where you're controlling real UAVs and UGVs in the in the field, or or not, they could be virtual or they could be real. They actually had a hybrid thing where like 
I could be moving a digital drone or I could be moving a real drone. I wouldn't know until I turned on like the camera feed. Oh, so that's what I was uh, working on. What um, what year are we talking here, roughly? Oh man, uh, let me think. Two thousand six, two thousand seven. Okay, somewhere along those lines. Yeah. All right. And um, so I was, you know, that wasn't what I wanted to do. Obviously, I wanted to make games, and they just kept like telling me, "Oh, eventually we'll have a game studio. Eventually, we'll have a game studio." They didn't. Um, and so my productivity was kind of lackluster because of that and then they're like one day they, they pulled me in they're like we're very displeased with your performance and we're going to um well, you know there, there's there's two solutions we can fire you or you can take a little pay cut and go work at this other department's game studio and i'm <laughs> like wait that was an option like i would have done that eight months ago you know what i mean so i went over to this other department and we were working on uh, what's called serious gaming mm. if you're familiar with the term for those who aren't it's uh, educational video games games that have some sort of real world purpose so we would take contract work. We would make things. We made like um, did some military stuff, like for the Navy. We made something where you could distinguish the insignias because there's a bunch of different insignias. So it was a little game to teach you how to um, tell the difference between them. Um, we made a game for a Alcoholics Anonymous group, like how to keep alcoholics from relapsing, how to manage their lives post uh, rehab, and then we even made like. Uh, some MMO. We made an MMO for like middle schoolers to teach them physics using a really janky engine that they even like shut it down while we were making it, which was kind of <laughs> rough. So there's no more support. <laughs> but yeah, that was like my first foray into the industry. That stuff. Okay. And so, so as you're doing that, like, what um, how long how long were you at that company? So you moved over to that other project for you were on eight months. Moved over. How long did you kind of continue working on stuff, the series stuff there? Two or three years. I oh, okay. Say. Yeah. Was that in Orlando or was that where was yeah. it? Okay. Uh, UCF, you know, research park right. area. Right okay. Yeah. And so, so that the rest of that time was, was serious game type stuff. So that's, that's what you worked on for a couple of years there. Mm -hmm. Okay. What made you decide or what, what happened that you ended up leaving from there? Did you decide to leave? Did, did the, did the company make changes? So, uh, interesting story, I guess. Um, let, let's 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 make it as entertaining and anonymous as possible, I guess. Uh, so frequently, my supervisors, because they were they were on a team that made that got grant money basically. So as long as they kept pulling in the grant money, doesn't matter what we're doing, right? Um, and the, but the people who were making the, getting the grant money were also in charge of evaluating my performance. And these are people who have never coded in their lives. And this is a problem when you're a coder being evaluated by non-coders because everything is visual based. So, so much of the time, my performance was tied to the artist's performance, right? If I spent a week making our, our game, our code more efficient and it runs, let's say 60% faster than before, they'll be like, there's nothing, you didn't do anything, nothing's changed, right? So I had a lot of that frustration. And so eventually they had to do the budget cuts. They had to let someone go. And they, I happened to be the one. They're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to let you go. Um, it was supposed to be like a laying off. But um, what really miffed me was uh, they were trying to force someone out, I guess. So they, they handed me a letter of like why I need to be terminated. And none of those things were actually true. And I, I wrote back an email with every single point with the receipts of why these aren't actual things that happened. And they sent me another email with a bunch of brand new things. And that's... <laughs> I'm I'm not I'm I'm used to that to happen to me in radio as well. They wanted to have their friends show come on the radio, so they just 
it's basically we're going to keep giving us you reasons uh, until we just get the hint we want you out of here right interesting so i actually have that i actually have that frame right here in my office i can't pull it up but um do you really <laughs> yeah I had this because, because what happened literally that day as i'm being i got served that letter and they're telling me i have to get laid off i was like well you know what I, i'm sick of having doing good work like I, I just i came off of a weekend where i worked unpaid like i came in to help work, work in my deliverable like that week you know and, and it doesn't go noticed or uh, any sort of like acknowledgement so i was like you know i'm sick of working for people who they want to play like the office game and there's all these office politics and they don't judge me based on my actual work so i was like and i've always wanted to start my own games and i know how to make games i had a friend of mine at that time um he was an artist. He was teaching at UCF for game or just for art in general. And we always we were big, big in the games. I'd be like frequently like the guy who crashes on his couch. And I, we always talked about possibly starting a studio. So I was like, now's the time. I just got this inspiration. At, literally, as I'm walking out the door, I pull, call him up on my phone. I'm like, dude, come over to my house right now. He's like, huh? I'm like, I'll explain later. And so uh, he comes over. And that day, I'm like, listen, man, I got laid off. Um, they made up a bunch of stuff and, and uh, we need to start our own, we should make our own game studio I know we can do it we're you're a good artist I'm a good uh, designer let's make a game this was like right when like the second iPhone came out so it was like still early it was pre was it pre Angry Birds or right when Angry Birds came out okay um, somewhere around that time so I was like this is a great platform for indies because you can make a really small scope game and you can uh get it out there to the world there's a huge audience where before it's like you know you'd have to pitch your game we were trying to do that before come up with like pitch ideas we were making some flash games prior to that um just like but nothing ever got like finished we we're just prototyping so we're like let's let's make an iphone game i'm going to choose to not look for another job i'm going to go all in i'm going to get on government assistance and i'm going to try and make this happen um so we were so inspired that day we literally came up with the idea for our first game the last days of space um, we, we saw there were infinite runners out there. There was like a game called Cannibal at that time that was particularly popular. Mm -hmm. This was before Temple Run and all that tiny wings, all that, all that. And I was like, well, most infinite runners are just jump and slide. I'm going to make this game jump, slide, dash, uh, run. You can pop things. You can shoot things. It was going to be like people refer to it as like a, a bop it kind of. It's like a bop it oh, version okay. of an infinite runner. Yeah. And so that was our idea. And so my artist, he starts sketching away he's coming up with cool ideas for the the artwork and stuff um and actually i was so inspired like had the, the gears running that the song that's in that game if you check out the last ace of space um there's a surf rock song in there and i i was thinking about i'm sitting there talking with my artist i'm like how should the music go and i'm like it should be something like this and i put on like a drum beat on like a little casio keyboard <laughs> and i take a little tape recorder and i hit record and i just started improving. And the improvisation of the first take wound up being the song. It actually oh. took me three three hours to learn what I just improved. So I took that and I was like, "Cool, I'm going to make that the song." So we had this plan. This plan. Uh, I was using an engine called Cocos 2D. Um, I'm not sure if the, the audience. I've never with heard that. of that one. <laughs> it, it, Unity was around at this time. I just wasn't. I never heard of it. So Cocos 2D was an engine just for the iPhone. Um, no graphical interface. It's all in code everything was just oh, numbers wow. based right uh 10 minute compile times so i was teaching myself that and at the same time um a band i was in we just recorded an ep and we were planning to do like a uh a tour like a two-week tour up in new york city and back so the goal was make the game get the album out i'm going to uh write press releases out for both of them 
And then as we're on tour, I'm going to just, while I'm in the van, you know, I'm just going to be sending out tons of press releases and hopefully like it'll get noticed, you know? So like, because of, that's why I have that, that, that letter of termination frame, because that was when we started, that's what led to me starting my own studio, Astroco. That's really, oh, so that was Astroco. All right. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. That's really cool. I love that. I wasn't expecting to get that kind of a cool story right off the bat. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I want to, um, I want to touch real one question in the chat real quick before we get too far away. Um, but above the universe asks, do you suggest new people go generalist or specialist and why? And I'm curious about your perspective specifically because you, you know, you do indie stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're going to do indie, you want to become a, a generalist, but if you're doing triple uh, a, you want to become a specialist. Right. And so it's a matter of, do you want money or do you want creative freedom? Right. Those are that's <laughs> the, two, the two options you have. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's pretty good advice. Um, mm -hmm. At least that, that's kind of the way I would separate it as well. There, there's room for generalists in AAA as well, especially, you know, it, it, depending on where you are. But 90% of the time, yeah, it, it most most of my work has been at, at AAA studios, and we're usually looking for someone to fill a role and be very good at it. Mm -hmm. That's why it's always funny. I have students who will be like, well, I'm... I'm good at like illustration, but I'm also good at game design, which can I uh, try out for both? I'm like, yeah, but they're only going to hire you for one, right? They, they need to have a full-time artist and a full-time programmer. You can't do double duty. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. It's, it's really tough to kind of do that is we, especially when you're looking at, you know, we looking to fill a role, we're looking for someone that has a particular background and, and a skill set. Like mm -hmm. we want them to be very good at that thing. Cause we need someone to do that part of the game. Exactly. So, so was this from this point on for you in development, was it all your company or, or were there opportunities for you to branch out and do other things down the road? I've done um, plenty of other stuff because my company was never a full-time thing. It was always okay. just my, it's official company, but it was always like a thing I did in my spare time. Right. Uh, because the first game never really took off. Um, we weren't making enough money for me to do it full time. Same with the band. So I had to kind of revert back to working a job. Um, it's actually, I, I mean, I can go into that too. That there's, a, yeah. there's a good story behind that. Absolutely. So like on tour, you know, I'm on tour with my band uh, and we're, I, from all the press release, sending out the press releases, I actually got back destructoid.com, right? Mm -hmm. Really large gaming, oh, yeah. gaming site. Uh, they were going to feature our game. It was going to be on the front page with our trailer embedded um, on Easter weekend. And they said it was like, bet, must download game of Easter weekend, four out of five stars, whatever. Uh, and we're super hyped. We're like, oh, we're going to get like, you know, the first push of revenue. Yeah. And the next day, zero downloads. And we were really confused by that. We had a YouTuber review it and he said, gave us really good reviews. And there were lots of views on that. We were bracing for another push. Yeah. Zero, zero downloads. What? And I think there were two two reasons. At that time, um, it was only on iPhone, right? iPhone had this weird, like, it had a broken search algorithm where uh. if you type the last ace of space was the, the game's name. If you took off any of those words, and because it's a long name, people would probably just type ace of space or last mm. ace. It wouldn't show up. It, it, the algorithm was broken where it, everything was more based around downloads and reviews than anything. So there were these two apps called um, Guitar Buddy and Comics with, like, an X that was would show up for everything because they had so many downloads. It was like a snowball effect. I actually wrote like a, a, a an article in Gama Sutra back in the day about how it was broken, and it's mm. been since, it's since been fixed. But I think what happened was people couldn't find it. It wasn't on the first page, so they were like, "Oh, maybe it's not there." I don't know. 
Um, another thing I think was back in the day, mobile gaming was not taken seriously by gamers. Those who would be watching or going visiting Gama Sutra would be like, this is for housewives, right? That was kind of like the, the kids and housewives yeah. were only ones playing mobile games. So people didn't were kind of um, ambivalent to it. Yeah. And it was like, so I'm just, you know, uh, I called it like quietly going broke because I couldn't, <laughs> you know, I was making no money. I was losing money every single day, but I have something that could generate me income, like a game. I can't just, it got really awkward because, you know, plenty of people have phones. And if I saw someone with a phone, I try and talk to them, but I can't be like, can you please download my game? Cause I'm hungry and I'm losing money. And I don't want <laughs> right. to lose my house. But yeah. <laughs> cause like desperation doesn't sell in that regard. Right. Like you can't tell a sob story while trying to sell somebody something like some people do, but like I try not to. And, you know, trying to, to sell my game and having just people never really like, it, it, the amount of work I would take for me to get one person to convince them to buy the game isn't worth the 35 cents I was making per, per copy, right? Before yeah, taxes. Right. You know? And so like you need your game to go viral and I obviously have no money for marketing. It was like all I could do was that organic marketing. Like, hey, please download my game, rate and review it. That, that helps us out. Tell your friends. And Well, and at that it, point you had some free marketing and the algorithm broke that. So like that's, exactly. uh, what are you going to so, do? Like. Yeah, so I think we were making, when the game launched the first year, we were making around like 20 bucks a month on the game. And that's for, for the two of us to split, right? Man. Um, and so it, it wasn't really working. Same with the band. Like, um, for any, I always say this, for anyone who, who's never seen a, a not big band touring, it's not like when the Foo Fighters go on tour, right? There's no like red carpet. There's no people waiting for you. It's a bunch of dudes, smelly dudes in the van who have to travel like six to eight hours a day to the next city. The venue is always in like the worst part of town. You got to make <laughs> sure that your car is parked in the spot where you're not going to get a ticket. You're not going to get broken into. Um, you put all your gear, you have to show up like two hours before the, the venue, the gig even starts. You wait before all the other bands to play. You finally play your set. You put all your stuff on stage, play your 30, 45 minute set, tear all your stuff down. Again, the whole time you're making sure no one's stealing your stuff because you need it for the next show. Then you try and make some money at the merch booth. You know, right. Um, because all that money that comes to the venue, uh, the doorman is making more than the band members. The, wow. uh, the bartenders are making more than the band members because they're all getting tipped out. Right. And people don't realize that they just see you on stage and they're like, wow. Like one thing people said to me all the time is like, no matter what city, they're like, live in the life, man, live in the life. And I'm watching my, my bank account just like dip down into nothing. <laughs> and I'm like about to, you know, have to lose my apartment. Ugh. Um, and, and so a lot of that was, you know, people just not understanding what it is to be an indie dev. Like I've had a lot of that, uh, not, not catching on. Right. Yeah. So, uh, for example, I had, um, sometime, one time I was in a bar and I'm playtesting my game and someone's looking over my shoulder. He's like, that's a really cool game. What is that? I'm like, Oh, cool, man. It's a game I made. Um, it's only 99 cents. He's like, Oh, don't worry, bro. My phone's jailbroken. And I'm like, Oh, hey, come on. Well, dude, that's my, that's how I make a living. He's like, <laughs> Oh, oh, when you said your company, I thought the company you work for. I'm like, no, no, like I am, this is me. Like, I'm trying My to company. <laughs> so he actually like, you know, he had in good faith, he showed me, he went to the real app store and actually. Oh, that's it. nice. But, um, but, but again, it's like all that effort to, to make like 35 cents and I'm in a bar, I'm drinking a $3 beer and tipping a dollar. It's like, I need everyone in the bar to, to, to buy it, to get like a net profit, you know? Yeah. Um, I've had situations where, um, 
this was something I heard a lot. What was uh, people? I tell them I make games, right? And they're like, "Oh wow, that must be like Angry Birds, like that. You must be doing so well." I'm like, "Well, let me ask you. Do you ever buy mobile games?" They're like, "No, I only play the free ones." I'm like, "What if I told you every single person I've talked to had the exact same answer?" You know? So yes, there are games that do make a lot of money, but those are like the one percent of one percent, yep. right? And for the smaller ones, you make literally nothing because everyone. There's also that bias where people assume you're successful, so they're like. I'm anti-corporate and anti-big money. And I know you're already rich, so I'm not going to give you any money. And you're like, I, I have no money. You know, I, I, my game doesn't look janky because I put time into it and I'm proud of it, but it's, it, you know, I, I need sales to live. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, that's the mobile, the mobile side of game development is such a different beast. It's, it's not, it's not even from the consumer side. I don't, I don't consider it like game. Right. Like it's, it's such a different model and and it's like, I was the same way. Like I wouldn't buy anything for a long time. Like just because everything was free, you know, there was decent stuff out there for everything. And it's, uh, it's, it feels very different, you know? And I don't know, like there's just some weird disconnect there that, that isn't right. And I don't know how to fix it. I even remember back in the day when I got in where you could make the, iPad version where it was like the deluxe version where it was literally the same game just on a larger screen mm-hmm. and you can charge five times as much. Now everyone expects it to be integrated into the same, you know, app, right? Yeah. It was a very different market back then. But yeah, I think the freemium revolution kind of killed the the mobile marketplace because everyone just expected games to, to be free and then they donate money when they feel like it, even though yeah. they don't realize they're being uh, psychologically manipulated right yeah <laughs> but, but to them they think that they're they're choosing to to pay for the game right yeah i i got into the trap of well i don't know if it's a trap I, so i'm someone who i'll support something I'll, I'll pay for something if i if i'm getting enjoyment out of it right mm-hmm. so so for mobile stuff what i tend to do is i will play and if i like the game then i'll start doing some in-app stuff right because then i'm like i'm enjoying it i'm spending time like i'm like I was playing Marvel Strike Force probably four to six hours a day of, oh, wow. a couple of years ago. And then, so I was like, so for me, I'm like, you know, that that's a, a high level of enjoyment. So for me, I'm like, what is that worth to me per hour on average? So what's my budget to kind of spend on this? And I ended up spending way more than I would on a regular game in there just because of the amount of time that I was getting out of it. But, mm-hmm. but, but I'm, I'm in the like 5%, you know, may, maybe less than that. You're also a dev, so you have you know what it's like. True, that's true. So it's different for like the consumer, where like I always bring this up in class when I'm teaching. You know, I say, how many of you have donated to a Twitch streamer? And a couple raise their hands. I'm like, so why do you donate to them? Like, because they're providing me entertainment. I'm like, well, how many of you play League of Legends? They all raise their hand. I'm like, have you ever thought of writing a check to Riot? They're like, no. I'm like, well, they're they're providing you entertainment just the same, right? But like, but they're a company, and I hate companies. But the individual needs my money. Like, well, individuals work at the company. Yeah, (laughs) it's a weird disconnect. Like the the whole down with the the corporations vibe. It it doesn't fit in games very well, you know, because like ultimately, no matter what scenario, there's people like us that are just working and trying to make games and, and be successful. And the thing that sucks is that most gamers think that if you work in games, you're, you make a lot of money and across the board, that's generally not true. Right. Right. It's a, it's a salary job. That's about it. Yeah. You're not, right. <laughs> you're not huge, but it is a salary job. Yeah. It's a good um, job. There's good work in this industry, but sure. 
but even for you know in the indie scene like what you've been dealing with it's there's nothing regular about it right like it's it's literally the money that people are willing to spend on the product Mm -hmm. and so in a way you have to turn up some you have to be kind of dishonest because you're totally if you gave your your fan base the choice like would you like my game to be free or paid they're going to say free would you like my game to have ads or no ads they're going to say no ads right so you have to stand your ground in a way but um circling back to what you said about um the money in the industry like people sometimes like they have that attitude where they think something's successful so they don't feel the need to give it their money Mm -hmm. right we i did this in class the other day because the whole bayonetta thing was was brought up right and they mentioned they tried to mention how bayonetta 2 sold like a million copies so therefore it was really successful i broke down what the proposed budget of that game would have been and like 60 million dollars like they probably lost money on bayonetta 2 because it only made sold a million copies at 60 dollars you know yeah especially when you count marketing oftentimes nowadays is as much as the budget of the game itself it's often more on on triple a stuff the marketing budget is usually larger yeah i remember i think it was saints row one of the saints rows the marketing budget was twice what the development budget was. Wow. If I remember right. Like, I was just like, that is wild. And I don't know if you can publicly say, but do you know if they, they profited off of it? Did it do well? I, on I, that part, I don't know. I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's another thing that, that kind of bothers me about the industry in general is even when you're working at big companies, often the, like us in the trenches don't hear that stuff, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. Like we don't even hear sales numbers unless there's something that's announced, you know, like we don't, we don't know. Hmm. We hear when it's bad because then there's layoffs, right? (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. (laughs) That's the other thing too, is like companies, I mean, just, it's just the nature of a company is it's going to grow based on how much money it has. Right. So if your game is doing well, like you'll have the ability to have more people involved and and make more DLC and, and season pass stuff or whatever. Yeah. Man, so what did you, is there a place in the indie market for the old style, like it's, it's free to a point and then, and then everything, then you have options to kind of, you know, pay to continue. Cause I, I'm someone who my time is very valuable to me. So the times where I am, will spend money more readily is when I'm like, I could spend 10 hours doing that, or I could spend $10. I'm going to spend that $10 a hundred percent of the time. Uh, there, there is actually. I like the model of part of the game is free, like because you're talking more about like being able to grind, like skipping the grind. But like I'm talking about games where if it's a level based game or something, like you get the first three levels for free, yeah, and then there's a paywall. That's actually good for indies because people are much more willing to take a chance on a if it's free to download from a company that they've never heard of than if it's just two ninety nine for some company that's not proven themselves, right? Right. So I, I think uh, that that is good. Uh, but yeah, you kind of you don't want to have just a game that's a flat price though in that market because again you have to just sell millions and millions of copies to make back any money. Um, yeah. If you can have in-app purchases, but again that kind of compromises your game's design if that's not what you were factoring in. Right. Yeah, I can't remember the last game I played that didn't have in-app stuff on mobile. Like mm-hmm. if so, I, it it feels like feels like that's the only way to design mobile successfully right is to just to have that kind of model because like we talked about people it's it's weird to me too like i'm not going to throw 99 cents at something unless i'm able to try it out like that's mm-hmm. that's my, my general demeanor about it you know when it comes to mobile and i'm a dev 
right? Like, I, right, right. I, I know better, but that's still the way I feel because that's the way that that, that you know, architecture is built. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, the, I would say the AAAs have kind of pushed the indies out of it to some extent, right? Because they can provide high-quality entertainment for free, and it makes an indie next to it who's a small group, you know, that work maybe six months on their game, and they're not as talented, and it's like it just looks by comparison, you know, unless they've exhausted all their options of all the AAA games, they're not going to dip into that like small indie side of things. Yeah. Right. So, so then what, what did you do? You're, you're at a point now where your first game isn't selling very much. Your, your, you know, the band side of things isn't, isn't as successful as you hope either. So what, what, what kind of direction did you feel like you needed to take? So I um, had to start looking for a job. Um, that's actually how I started working at Full Sail was oh. when I was looking for that. Um, and when I got the call that I was going in, I got the job. And I'll be starting work tomorrow. It was, I just overdrafted my bank account, uh-huh. maxed out my credit card. And the next day was my birthday. It oh, was wow. Pretty, like serendipitous like situation. You know, I got like pulled out of my, my rut, but I was very in debt at that time because it was like, I went on like about a year and a half, I think of trying to do that. Oh, wow. Full-time. And, um, it just like you know i put out actually wound up putting out i want to say six games or eight games at that time um and uh no sorry it was longer than that um but i was running all night so i did do some freelance stuff at the same time okay i was working for guys with money who heard that mobile markets where money is so they're like hey i'll pay you to make some games but um very difficult i got mistreated in a bunch of those one guy like i told him like if i take this job like i i need consistent income because this is my only revenue source i won't be able to pay my rent and then he like ghosts me for like a couple days because he's like on vacation in las vegas i'm like dude i need money and he's just like i'll pay you when i get around to it like you don't tell me what to do i'm like okay so i i just you know quit that um there there are lots of uh dead ends i'll say um literally uh getting getting mistreated by a hundred percent of the people i tried to work for like doing like freelance work um partially that's me not being as uh defensive to protect myself but another time like one of my whole attitude was like the reason i'm going indie because i want to work with cool talented interesting people who don't try and screw people over but then i found out unless you come out with knives out there's people where like hey i know i can be a decent person or i can screw you over I'm going to screw you over because I, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. Right. So I had to start becoming more jaded in that way. And, and like nowadays it's like, if you just want to even pitch your idea to me, like we got a contract, there's going to be some money involved, you know, uh, because of those experiences that I had. That's a, that's an interesting lessons learned, you know, and that mm-hmm. that's honestly the kind of stuff that I love to talk about here because you know, people don't know. Yeah. Whoa. I got music playing. Is that coming from you? What is I happening? Whoa, that was weird. Like I said, no. a, a thing that I had muted just randomly unmuted itself. That <laughs> wow. Decided it's time. Yeah. <laughs> Yay, Windows 11. Got it. <laughs> My PC just auto updated to Windows 11 a couple of months ago. Like I didn't even. You too. Yeah. I, well, I just rebooted and it was all of a sudden Windows. And like I pay attention to that stuff. So like I'm I'm constantly looking at updates and stuff. And I was telling it not to. And then mm-hmm. at one point it's like, nah, motherfucker, we're just going to do it. I'm like, all right, well, you I guess many, I... You know how many times I've been in the middle of like showing my game, of, my games off at a convention to someone important and it's like, time to do a Windows update, even though you told me to do it later. It's like, <laughs> here we go. Like, listen, you really want this update. I'm telling you. <laughs> better one. 
So, so you said you did several little games uh, throughout that be- mm-hmm. before you went to Full Sail. So you did like a handful of things throughout there. Yeah, yeah, I did a couple of uh, some were for my own, some were for Afterpro, and others were for for clients. Okay. Um, and like there were like two or three that got onto the market. Um, but little games, like uh, probably not even going to say the names of them, but I don't think they're on the app stores anymore. But there were there were little things that you know someone had an idea. They don't know how to make games, so they just hire a coder. Um, and, and, you know, I walked into the same problems of, like, someone who doesn't know how to code evaluating your performance. When you show yeah. them the systems in place, but their art looks messy, they're like, you're not taking this seriously, bro. The art's messy. I'm like, I'm not the artist, dude. Like, I look at how the, the game works. There's no bugs now. The game is running performant, right? The code is clean. Um, I had somebody, this was, actually, this was once I started working at Full Set, but I was still trying to do some freelance stuff. Um, I had someone who was a Marvel Comics artists right they work for marvel so i thought they would know more about being professional on the art side of things or uh, the business how the business works right, right right wanted me to make essentially like a secret of mono type engine um you know where you can top down you walk around the, yeah. at the top of the screen it scrolls up um, i made was making something like that for them uh, I got like even the rigging system where like you have like sprites, you know, like the old school bosses where there's like yeah. a hand that's one sprite and the fingers are other sprites. And like, so it all rigged together. And this was all in code, not with a visual graphical interface, right? Wow. All right. Doing all this. And I send them the demo and I put like, it's like 15,000 lines of code in this or something like that. Like, you know, 50 hours of work or something. And he writes me back and he's like, uh, just to let you know, we're going to drop you from this project because I was playing the demo and uh, I noticed that the text box, the thing that says close, like when you're talking to somebody, the, the text is off center. Like you must not be taking this seriously. <laughs> what? And I'm just like, whoa. You know, and I, that told me also too, I probably don't want to be working for this guy because that's going to be a nightmare client. So I, I told him in my like kind of resignation piss off letter. I'm like, just so you know, man, I worked like 50 hours on all the other stuff, that thing that you're complaining about is literally one line of code. And I could have fixed that for you, but I wouldn't want to work for under these conditions, you know, something like that. Wow. I had lots of situations like that. Just Jeez. always the people with the money don't know what I do. And so they give you this bad performance when like in, if I were to give myself a good review, I'm actually doing quite well. I'm putting a lot of sacrifice and time into it. And they're just like, why does the art look bad? Like the animations look dumb. It's like, well, I'm not the animator. Like that's the artist, dude. You know? Yeah. Let's, so many times. Let's let's take a second to talk about this because mm-hmm. I think I, I I assume this is true in a lot of other industries, but it is definitely true in this one that the your stakeholders have have expectations in their head, right? That regardless of what project you're on, maybe it's your lead, maybe it's, you know, someone who's funding a project, whatever that is, and they have expectations and they have quirks, I guess we'll say, right? Like things that are important to them that that really sometimes aren't important, really, you know what I mean? Like this, this is a great example of it. That's what made me think of this, where how do you, or do you, because some people don't give a fuck right like some, like sometimes it's it's not worth it but how do you kind of balance the i'm going to provide what i think they're asking for as opposed to what is the right thing to do to get where we're trying to go so for myself it's different than how i've worked with companies when i've worked with that that one uh educational serious game company we would literally just make new artwork and have like forced interactions like the code wasn't actually dynamic we'd show like one like hard-coded example of it working and they would think it's done right but if they were to play it more hands-on they'd realize it's not finished so just literally 
pricking them so they would get out of your hair, right? Because they, they were oblivious <laughs> nonetheless anyway. But um, for me, what I do, I do a lot of pre-screening when pe I try and work with clients. So I always say, what, what do I say? I say, just so you know, this isn't going to be in the hundreds of dollars. This is going to be in the thousands of dollars, probably in the tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, it's not going to be overnight. It could be six months to a year. Mm. Um, and you have to ask yourself some questions. What are you trying to accomplish? Because people come up to me and say, it's like Facebook. I'm already out because, yeah, right. you know. <laughs> it's a survival but, MMO. Nope. Like <laughs> yep, You have to learn. And, and so like the thing that people will always try and ask me without giving me any details, like how long will it take and how much will it cost? I'm like, yeah. well, are we making Flappy Bird or Final Fantasy VII Remake? You know? Yeah, that the the funny thing is usually money people don't have any real grasp of, of the you know of what it takes you know mm -hmm. and especially for a small team and so it, it's usually it's really interesting to hear some of the like I've seen it both ways right where someone comes in they're like they'll they'll be like we can do this can you do this for hundred thousand I'm like it's gonna be ten times that right I've seen it the other way where they're like we've we've got like a million dollars for this and I'm like. We could do that for well under half of that, you know? So mm -hmm. like, how do you, cause, cause like I'm in, in my, you know, experience through the last, you know, in the, on the triple a side, it's much more of like a, it's usually time resource management kind of things where it's like, okay, here's our budget or, or here, or how long is it going to take to do this particular thing? When you're on the indie side, it's, it's all based on like, there, there's a, a deliverable that is being paid for directly, right? That's a much more serious and kind of like, you know, immediate problem that has to be solved. Like, how do you, like, what's that negotiation kind of like for you when you're doing that? So over the, the many years of doing this and all the times I've gotten, you know, screwed over, um, now I do a deliverable, ba deliverable based uh, payment type thing where it's like you want 10 levels, I'm going to make the initial framework for the character i'll make all the mechanics for the character and then i you know that's milestone one you know or deliverable one then it's like you want to make a level i'll make you level one deliverable two right and then we'll keep going because another thing that happens with these these people who have money are also very fickle and sometimes they just change their mind and yeah. i got burned on a project where uh, i went and made it for the guy we agreed on a price and then i sent it to him and he just was like kind of ghosted me like it was done and he's just like oh i don't want to put this out i don't want to finish i don't want to pay but he didn't say anything like that he just kind of stopped talking i'm like hey man um i need payment he's not like he, he didn't use it so at least he didn't do that but it's like i worked and made something for him and didn't get any money because i was a pawn deliverable right right At, but um, and you agreed right like there was an agreement in place that he just now is trying to ignore Right. And so I wouldn't have, you know, obviously I wouldn't have done that. And it was also me cutting some guy slack because I did him a favor. I, I did it for a lot less because I knew people that he knows and I kind of was in some similar industries and uh. doing someone a favor never, it never comes back. I found uh, the way you think it would, right? They don't look at it as, oh, thank you for doing the favor. They just go, this is normal. This is how I expect it, right? Yeah. Um, so you have to stand your ground a lot. Um, I've had, you know, even just even doing like pre consulting, like like the previs before you like develop it, like just talking about the idea. I even charge for that sometimes now because I've I've gone like weeks with someone where like throwing back and forth, building, helping build the GDD, and then when I drop the price on them, they just disappear. Right? Yeah, and like 
this was you think I was going to work for free? Like I've had even people who are minor celebrities. I'm not going to say their names, but like thinking that I would be a fanboy and be like, oh, let me make your game for free for you. And I'm like, no, I'm a professional. Like you've obviously got more money than I do. Like I need to get paid, dude. Um, and so they kind of back down when they're like, oh, he doesn't want to like do it for me because I'm famous. Yeah. Who who would want to do that? Like who? <laughs> Like that's that's former, former Power Rangers with a huge ego. That's all I'll say. <laughs> it's such a weird like entitlement though. Like I don't I don't understand that. Like why why would someone think that 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 kind of thing would would have someone decide suddenly they want to not ha have a livelihood behind their craft? Like it's just it's such a weird weird thought process. I think. It's just not seeing it from the other person's side, right? They're just seeing it as how it affects them and like what can they get because they're used to sometimes that does happen, right? They yeah. do things for free, but they don't realize games aren't something that's done in a night. They're not something that's done in a week. It's like months and years of your life sometimes. Like uh, you have to pick and choose which projects you want to work on because they, they do take a long time, especially if you want to release them in any form of like quality. You want to have yeah. actual like, you know, something you're proud of. Like it takes a long time. Um, and they're just like, I want it. I want it now. You know? Right. So when you're doing this deliverable based system, which totally makes sense to me, I'm, I'm thinking though about from a, from the, the, uh, the perspective of the client, yeah. how long does it normally take to get to like a vertical slice where you're like, we've got a little bit of everything together in, in kind of a small, or do you even do that? Like, do you, do you kind of handle it that way? I, I try to, yeah. I try and do the vertical slice. Um, sometimes clients get mad that the art isn't in place yet, but I keep trying to tell them, like, it's so hard to show off unfinished work, right? Because it's yeah. like, I'm like, hey, just so you know, this, this artwork isn't finished. Obviously, it's going to work the way it's supposed to. And then they look at it and they're like, the art's not right. Yeah, I know. Look past that and look at, like, the functionality of the game. Look at, you know, the systems that are in place and just imagine later we're going to put a shiny coat of paint on it. Yeah. Because they're so used to just looking at, um, finish work and not production work, right? They, they, they can't look, they don't have that like vision and, and that, that is really hard. So a lot of times I am wary of showing people unfinished work. Did I tell you the story about the angry birds publishers that I had? I don't think so. Okay. So this was something that happened to me while I was, uh, working on a possible sequel or something that is like a a side story to the last ace of space we we're making another game with that franchise and uh we were at gdc and a friend of ours actually um managed to get us a a meetup with like just like a casual dinner meeting with two of the guys who publish it was not not angry birds themselves not rovio because previously they were being published by a company it was the, the angry birds publisher uh, i can't remember their name right now but we were um we showed them, you know, they were interested. We talked about our game and I mentioned how we have the, the, the new game. And I'm like, just so you know, man, I don't really feel comfortable showing unfinished work because people tend to judge it incorrectly. Right. And so he's like, Oh no, don't worry, man. Um, I've got, uh, you know, we get, we get unfinished work all the time. So I show it to him. He actually really enjoys it. it there's no animations like static frames, you know, just like for each, for each action. Um, and he is like, here, here's a guy's contact info, send it to him. He'll, you know, he'll be interested in talking. And I'm like, well, I just, you know, it's not finished. Like I don't like showing off finished. He's like, don't worry, man. So I send it, I get back from from GDC and I, I send the guy a build and I have a whole page email about like what will be in the final version, like, and how this is unfinished and we know it's unfinished, blah, blah, blah. And the guy just writes back game looks unfinished. Why did you send it? 
And uh, so that's, that's it's why it's like, even though people say they're cool with it, it's like they're, there's, they don't get it. So you have to just have like a really polished vertical slice before you show it to your client because they, they, they judge your capacity. Like you must not know how to code, you know? Like I've had almost so many times <laughs> in a professional environment as well as a freelance environment, people look at games made with Unreal Engine and they go, we got to switch, we got to switch the engine to Unreal because it looks good. I'm like, yeah. go, go look at comparison videos of Unity versus Unreal. It's just as capable, just Unity, Unreal for some reason gets this rep, this like rap for like being the most amazing graphics. It's like, they're, they're very comparable. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's funny too, like, you'll find that even there, there are a lot of game developers that are not capable of really seeing something that's unfinished and, and understanding where it's going, especially when you'll be like, you know, designer that's working on something very crude, very rough. And then you'll have, you know, producers or artists or other people, you know, that, that will look at it and they can't quite, they can't see it the way you can see it. Right. And some of the, a lot of that has to do with just the way that we, we think about what we're building. We, we know where it's going, like we know that underlying part is there, right? But sometimes we got to do a little extra just to make sure that, you know, the people that we're showing it to understand what it's really supposed to look. And that's why I think a vertical slice is so great because you can make, even if it's just a really small, you know, like here's five minutes of this thing, right? Where you can see like, it's, it's the actual visuals that we're shooting for. It's, you know, that, you know, we've got it really polished as much as possible, small thing so that people can kind of get it. That's why most of the studios I've worked for, we would do that. So all the executives and marketing and publishing and everyone could see and, and grasp, like they don't have to you know, put glasses on to see what that thing is. Right. And I think, especially if it's your first time working with a client, because they don't know what you're really capable of. And so to you, it's unfinished work. And to them, they're like, wait, this person thinks that this is acceptable. You're right. right. So it, it, you get a bad rap. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, I'm very wary of showing off, early stuff uh, unless i have a huge like speech in front of it like it'll look like this when it's done it'll look like this and even then sometimes they're still like not paying attention right? yeah it's uh, well you if you send out a lot of details about why it's not looking the way it's going to and they still don't get it like like, like i said in the chat people don't read their email right like it's mm -hmm. <laughs> you know it's it's a uh, it's a problem it's a problem but like that has to be super frustrating for you right because like a lot i'd assume a lot of what you've done over in in this role over time is this kind of thing, right? Where you're like, you know, people are coming to you to build something for them. So you're having to kind of go through this process a lot. That sounds exhausting. Oh, it's incredibly exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just, like I said, I had to just learn how to get defensive because if I didn't like, I would just be so frustrated with the way they understand what my job is. And that, that's just the problem. Cause it's like, if someone, I, I was telling my friend the other day, it's like, you have to deal with it because if you, were to collaborate with someone who was competent enough of a coder to understand this, he'd be doing it himself, you know? So yeah. you have to find a way to translate what you're doing and explain it to them. And like, this is harder than you think. It's not like I just press, like they always think like, Oh, we want a networking system. Can you just like drag and drop networking into the game? <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's a little easier now, but <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's for sure. But you still have to restructure your game to like send, you know, the protocol, like how, what's going to be, uh, Op, what's going to be um, what do you call it, operated with on the server side? What's going to be on client side? You know, mm -hmm. when you send messages, all that stuff. Man, when I went through full sale, this is uh, I graduated in in February of '01, so essentially doing my final project in like late nineteen or late two thousand. There was there were no engines, 
right? Like there were no like readily available things for people to to tinker around with. There were things like, mm-hmm. you know, the I think at that point the Neverwinter Nights editor was available, you know, very specific things. But for my project, I literally I I made a networking based uh ability to do something and it was all IP based. So you had to like go in and like enter your IP into the code and their IP into the code and then it would do like a a direct message back and forth type of thing and it was turn based so it didn't have to be like quick. Mm-hmm. But man, like that's the just at a super basic form took me like two months to do. Sure. And and now it's like, you know, you, you have, you know, Unreal or Unity and it's just kind of included. You know, it's like <laughs> just whatever you need to do, it's there. At at the risk of sounding like old men, it's like, yeah, we had to walk, you know, ten miles in the snow yep. uphill to make games. Yep. Like <laughs> that's just how it was. Like you had to know every little bit about the engine and what it was doing and how it worked, or you couldn't operate. Like I remember I was at one point I was trying to teach myself OpenGL. I I never got too far with it, but I remember to get a blank screen, like a blue screen was like 200 lines of code. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus, man. Cause you had to set up every single parameter for it, you know? Sure did. I remember that too. Like that's uh, that's, that was the side of things that was not appealing to me. You know, like mm-hmm. luckily I, I entered the industry at a time where editors, at least in for internal companies were starting to be a thing. And, you know, I could not worry about that kind of stuff and could focus on making cool shit. So. Right. Yeah, that, that's like the only reason why I could, like, I don't claim to be like this, like super like uh, coding is my passion and I love it. But I love the fact that when I press play, there's that game that I designed and I have control over how it's made, you know? Right. And it's so it, it's just the difference in the last 20 years is it's it's kind of hard to describe. Because like if if you didn't go through having to kind of create things from scratch, you're you're never gonna understand it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why there's a uh, I don't know if you know on Reddit there's a real game dev subreddit. Oh really? Where it's all the old heads who are like, if you only be here if you make your own engines, you know what I mean? If you don't, <laughs> if you don't know what a frame buffer is, get out. You know? <laughs> I know what it is, but I don't want to. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Because uh, they, they don't view the, the new guys, the new school, where they're just picking up these engines that are already made for them. It's like they have it so easy. And it's like when we had to struggle and we had to learn all this stuff, you know, we all the hex hex editing and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Man. And people can just get lazy now. Like, you know, I remember, like, I love – there's some YouTube channels that talk about the tricks that, like, old school devs had to do for, like, consoles to get the most power out of them. And nowadays yeah. it's like – I think what was it Chrono Trigger, which was a game that I think was like was it like a 64 meg cartridge on Super Nintendo, is mm. like a hundred and something megabytes on Steam because they don't have to optimize, so they just get lazy with it, right? Right. Yeah. And a hundred megs, you <laughs> that is so small now, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just it's just wild the difference and the like when you look back, especially at like the like the textures that they would use, like and, and like how they would be everything would be crammed in. To one texture, and they like use little parts of it for this guy and little parts yeah. of it for that. Like anytime you could reuse, it was like such a, a boon, you know. Yeah. Now we're this is devolving into a back in my day conversation. Yeah, yeah. For real, <laughs> right. But so you, so the thing, one thing I want to want to kind of touch on a little bit here, which is my the way I think about being a somewhat sustainable indie dev is having your day job, right? Like the thing, the thing that you do that, that, that pays your bills and allows you to live. And then you spend your free time, free time, you know, 
building that other business, right? And, and doing the thing. And and so when you get the full sale, that, that sounds like the perfect opportunity to do that. Sure, it, it really was because, um, you know, a lot of other dev studios, like if you were I've worked at a traditional studio, they probably wouldn't even let me work on side projects, right? Full sale kind of encouraged that, which yeah. was good. Um, I did make a considerable, I think I had the record for like most releases. I can't say I had the most successful, but I definitely, <laughs> while I was there, I put out 18 games total, I oh, believe. Wow. Yeah, um, on mobile. Um, all of them didn't do hardly anything, but at least I got them done. And I would frequently be just hanging out in the office till like two in the morning. I'd be like one of the only people in there just, you know, work's done. Time to just keep working on my game because I had a decent desk set up and no one really bothering me. Yeah. Um, so I just poured a lot of time into that. Uh, yeah, but you, you, yeah, you, you have to don't don't do what i did and kind of do go all in right unless you have a really really good following and there's already money there because like uh you want to take calculated risk and kind of you know you, you work on your game in your spare time if it starts selling then maybe you can ease up on one of your jobs if you have multiple jobs like because because uh i don't know it, it, it is tough though because what that's why i always tell people like why i'm such a supporter of indie because like if you support an indie dev they don't have to spend 40 hours at a job and then 30 hours at home, right? They can just spend 50 hours on their project right. and then their life is a lot less complicated because people talk about, I said this the other day, people talk about burning the candle at both ends. I've just thrown the candle in the fire, man. Like, it's just <laughs> like I'm working all the time on everything I, I do. Oh, you know? Man. So it, it gets real stressful or like just get run down after a while because you're just grinding for so long. Well, that, that's literally the next thing I was going to talk about, because in, in the industry, at least in the AAA side of things, a lot of studios are, are very much focusing on work-life balance. And I'm, I'm super lucky that that's something that Insomniac we care a lot about is making sure our people are are not being, you know, worked too hard, right? That, that we have the appropriate amount of stuff to do and that we're balancing in that way. And, you know, but... In your scenario, where it's lit, the, literally the only thing stopping you from working is you, right? Mm -hmm. How do you find that balance? It sounds like, from what you're saying, that that you're having difficulty doing that, right? But like, what what do you do? Like, how do you how do you make sure that you stay healthy and that you don't burn that candle at both ends? I, I'm not the one to ask because I don't feel that I'm very healthy. Uh, I actually do get a decent amount of sleep and I, I eat pretty well, but like like every waking hour is me either working at one of my jobs or uh working on one of my games you know or music is that is that a problem though so so here here's the here's the question i have about that one do you enjoy it right because like to me mm -hmm. if you're working on your side projects and like especially with music like there's probably a fulfillment and an enjoyment out of that, right? Like and someone's not making you do that, you know, and, and with the side project, right, right. there's probably a balance of like, I need to be doing it, but I'm also enjoying it. So like, how do you kind of factor that part into it? So there, there's definitely the enjoyment of like, clearly I'm not making indie games for the money, right? Cause I would have stopped <laughs> a long time ago, but it's like, there is that drive of like, I want to make these games that I have in my head. I want them to be out there and I want them to be realized. Um, same with the music. It's like, I want to have something, you know, we spend a long time on our, our mixes for our songs, which by the way, it's called trash cinema. Uh, the name of the band, if anyone wants to look it up, we, um, there's you just should, three songs now, but do you have the link we can throw in, in the chat? Yeah. Uh, Hey Mosby, you want to drop a, uh, drop a link in there. I, I don't have a Twitch account logged in right now, but just it's on youtube it's on spotify probably the spotify is the best uh but yeah like 
we spent a long time on it because I want it to be of that quality. I don't want to be like, you know, like I always say, like the biggest compliment I have is when I tell people I'm in a band, they're like, and they hear it, they're like, oh, you're in a band. Oh, yeah. Instead yeah. of like, oh, yeah, you're in a band. You know, yeah. like, it's like, oh, wait, this actually <laughs> it sounds good. Like it sounds like a professional recording because we, we took the time to make sure we got to that level. And so we're, we're hoping that like sets the bar for all the other stuff we do and everything sounds pro. Um, whether or not that actually gets the reaction we want, like I'm hoping it does, and I'm hoping we can put more time into it, right? But I can't keep putting time into things and then not getting enough back out of it that'll justify it, right? Yeah. It, it, obviously, I want. I'm not going to say money is everything, but money does help me free up some time to work on it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I can't just keep working for so long. Uh, I'm going to put that link in my notes too, so we can, uh, so I can get it in the when the podcast goes up. Sure, sure. I might have a. I'll send you a link later because I'll have a better one. Okay, so cool. it's called a link tree, so it has all the different Excellent. avenues that you can do. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, yeah, man. So it 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 sounds like what I feared, which is it, it's it sounds like a really hard thing to do, right? Like to to find that that balance. Do mm-hmm. you think that? Um, what's the right way to ask this? how much of that do you think is like personal drive and devotion? You know, cause like a lot of people that, that, that are here thinking about being an indie dev, you know, everybody kind of has their own motivations and their own drive and their own kind of, you know, situation. Do you feel like there's kind of a general, like, um, you can expect you're probably going to have to work this much to, to be, you know, somewhat successful in this area or, or kind of how much is that is, you know, kind of a personal kind of drive you think? You have to be self-motivated to do indie, like 100%, because if you're someone where, given the choice of working on my game or playing video games, you're going to take the, the other one, like, you you can't be in here, right? Because the problem with indie is everything's a lot more work than you think, too. So there's going to be that shock when you first go, I'm going to make an indie game, and then you start doing it, and you're like, okay, I've got a character controller, I've got a scrolling background, but then you're like, oh, make this game fun, make this game balanced, make this game interesting, pop, make it pop, right? Then you're like, I don't want to do this anymore because it actually feels like work at times. And right. <laughs> it is going to feel like work. It, it, you have control over it, which is cool. But to get to the finish line, like it's not just you having fun, right? Yeah. And, and that's where a lot of people drop out is once they realize it, it's, it's another obligation that they don't get paid for too, right? They're like, okay, I'm out because uh, this isn't what I hoped it would be. Because a lot of people want just that easy in, easy out. Like, I've had numerous students who told me they watched Indie Game the movie, and that's why they they came to Full Sail because, and this was their their words, how easy it is to get rich off of your own indie games. <laughs> and I'm like, that oh movie boy, the well because they just they got lucky that all three games in Indie Game the movie happened to do extremely well. I, what I heard later is I heard that like you know Fez like Phil Fish's team. I heard that they actually thought that one would fail and would never make it out. So that, that's why they covered that one. So they'd have like two success stories and one failure, but even that finished. <laughs> and so when, when, you know, gamers exposure to indie games is a hundred percent of them did really well. They're like, Oh, I can just make a game and people will just give, throw money at me. Right. Um, and wow. th- that the problem is too, the people who haven't failed, they never learned that. I had a, stu- uh, not a student of mine, but I was at a, uh, there's a speech I give that kind of talks on a lot of this stuff that I go to different schools and presentations or, or conventions to talk about. And it was all about, yeah, like indie can work, but it's very, very hard and you have to like get really lucky, blah, blah, blah. And this one student who was speaking after me, he 
made his first game, just bought a bunch of like uh, asset packs online, barely knew how to code, and got really lucky. And his game made him like fifty two hundred thousand dollars. And he's telling the same people that I just told, like, you got to be tough and you got to be prepared for failure. He's just like, no, it's so easy. You just, like, make a game and people throw money at you. And I'm just like, this year, oh, my God, man. Like, if only, and this kid's, like, 20 years old, right? So he never realized what failure is. And he's had, you know, a batting, he's batting a 1,000. So he doesn't know uh, most people that's not their experience in the indie market. I'd be curious to see what, what's going on with him now. You know, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe it's continued success, but the odds are against it, you know. Sure. And so I <laughs> one one of the things that always comes to mind with me in this kind of you know talking about indie development is there's a lot of students that come out of full cell and they they want to either take their final project and continue it on, or they want to like get a group together to make something indie on their own. And the thing that I see a lot is most of them burn out pretty quickly. Right. And so, and, and you know, like one person may be super motivated, they're leading the project, but they're just not getting out of people the kind of, you know, uh, desire and, you know, work ethic that they're putting into it. How do you deal with something like that? You know, how, like, because you know what, like what you're talking about in your scenario is you have no idea if what you're doing is going to make money. You're hoping that it will, but you don't know until it gets to the end these people are all just like in that scenario, right? Where they're like, we're going to put effort into something. Will it ever mean anything? It, it, it is hard, especially if you're not paying anybody, right? Yeah. Because some people get just, they have like shiny object syndrome and they see the next, someone else is like, hey, I need an artist. They're like, oh, I'm an artist, like, but you're working on my project. Like, yeah, yeah, but but someone just wants me for this project too. And then they go out and do that, right? So like you have to find a way to it's weird. I don't want to say make, make it not feel like work because you kind of do, but you have to play a little bit of like a HR manager and be kind of nice and be fun and want people to, to Hey, let's, let's have, let's go. Um, I don't know. Like Karis and I have like gone to the park sometimes to work. Right. We'll just be like in the park, <laughs> but we're still getting stuff done. And right. We'll go to like a cool bar or a coffee shop or something so we can work. Um, so it's, it's not, doesn't feel so much like a job because they're like, well, I don't have to do this and you're not paying me. So I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Some people yeah. are very short-sighted where they don't want to, they don't see the long-term goal anyway. And they're just like, I'll do this as long as it stays fun. Mm. You know, uh, some things I've recommended to some studios, if someone's replaceable, because unfortunately that's the thing too, is like sign some contract at the beginning saying, if you walk away from this project, we get to keep all your assets and maybe we'll work out some deal because you have an artist and they make 80% of your art. And then you're like, they, they start slacking off. You can't just be like new artist time. Right. Cause you got to throw up. They're not going to be cool with that. They're like, I'm taking all my stuff and I'm leaving. So you have to make sure that if, you know, push comes to shove, like you could still have progress if, if people leave. Cause I guarantee yeah. there will be, a, if you have like a big team, like five people, like someone, at least one person will be leaving during that, that project. Oh yeah. Probably most of them. <laughs> at least, at least yeah. from what I've yeah. seen. <laughs> And it's, it's interesting. Do you, how much do you think having someone that is a good, like motivator and visionary type person is, how important is that in these scenarios? That I don't know because I usually have to play that role. I'm the one who has to motivate everyone. I'm the one who's frequently being like, Hey guys, come on, let's, let's keep doing this. Cause I have 
like a robotic sense of uh, work ethic, you right. know, where it's like, I'm willing to stop everything I'm doing in my life to work on my project to, to get it done. And so many other people are like, well, you know, there's this and there's that. And, and um, I'm used to being on the other end. So I don't know. All I know is that it, it can be tricky to motivate people to, to get stuff done, especially when there's no immediate uh, reward. Right. Yeah. And I would like to, in the future, if I could get more money, like be able to pay small wages at least to like help keep people people motivated right so that now now i can actually fire them and say like you're not doing your work where before it's like you're not doing your work but you're making me feel bad you know like like, right. like what else can i what else can i do i can't expect them to drop everything to work for free yeah no it totally makes sense that's that's a that's a intense balance you know like it because mm -hmm. you're you're literally reliant on people's essentially goodwill and desire to, to contribute to something in order to do it. Right. So it, it's hard if you're not paying, if you're not compensating them in any way, it's hard to be too, you know, upset about the fact that they're not motivated to be a part of it. Yep. And you have to be careful who you let onto your team too, because there's some people who they just want to be a part of it. Cause it sounds cool to say they're part of like an indie yeah. dev team. And then, you've gone in too deep with them and it's hard to get them off the team or it's hard to um, get somebody else or something because you're, you've been, you got, you got committed too early. Like I always tell people to like test out your members and make sure that you like this working relationship before you sign them on. And like maybe sometimes people get, um, they jump to conclusions and then they end up already giving them like equity, like before they've even like finished a product. Like oh, you're man. guaranteed 50%. It's like, oh, it doesn't say in the contract if I leave, I don't not get that equity. So bye, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. So contracts sounds like another big thing to, <laughs> to, to mm -hmm. weave into this part of the process. There was some studio, I think it was Yogg's cast, that YouTube channel. They, they were making a game. They got it kickstarted. And they paid this artist like a $20,000 bonus to, to work on their project. But nowhere in the contract it said he had to keep working for them and finish it. So he got an offer from a AAA studio. And he's like, hey, guys, I'm going to go work for this AAA studio. But I don't, I know I didn't finish my work, but I don't owe you the 20 grand. I'm just going to take it. And legally, you can't do anything. And they're like, oh, well, that's not nice. He's like, legally, you can't do anything. And so. And that, oh, that would keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like that that's the that's one weird thing is like there's a bit of in good faith that comes in this kind of thing. And cuz most of us have sweat equity, you know, like we're we're putting our yep. time in. And you got to hope that everybody's on the same page about, you know, respect and you know how we're going to deal with each other. Or even um how people are around money. Right, because some people, when they they think, even if they have like the faintest inkling that this game's going to be a big hit, they get super. They change really fast, right? Yeah. Um, we had a former student group, I will say, a long time ago, where they wanted to keep working on their final project, develop it further. They put it up on on uh, Google Play. Someone in that in one of the students' families was like gassing them up about how this game is going to be the next Angry Birds and like wow this is such a going to be such a success and you don't need those other people. He took it upon himself to change the passwords of their accounts, just turn like destroy the Discord and all the chat channels or whatever, what? and try to just literally just steal the game, thinking that's the right way to do anything. Um, one, it's very easy to report that game. They all reported the game and it got kicked off the app store. Now no one can download it. Yeah. Um, 
word spread and now this kid has a bad reputation so no one in the industry is going to vouch for him good um <laughs> yeah I, I just because they dangled a little bit of money above his head because the prospect of the game could make millions he was already like well i need to screw everybody else over to get mine right and, and that some is people are like that that is wild to me because my thought would be like we're all going to be rich like you know what i mean like <laughs> it's you would uh, think that I, I have another story. Well, it's my friend's story, but he was making back when you could um, make marketplaces for CSGO, like skins for the weapons, right? Mm -hmm. Like people would actually pay real world dollars for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. My friend was making a website. And let's say it was called like CSGO Casino or something, right? And um, that's not what it's called, but let's just pretend. <laughs> and <laughs> they were working with people and they started to get some money. And by the time they had like $10,000 in their bank account, these two guys did the same type of thing, Clo changed all the passwords, stopped talking to everybody, closed it off. And those two guys happened to be YouTube streamers. They then on their YouTube channels were giving a review of that site and said, don't go to that site. It's a scammer site. And then they cloned the site themselves and changed the logo. So from like CSGO casino to like CSGO, I don't know, gambling, right? And then they're like, go to this site. That one's the legit site. And that one's the scamming site all over like 10 grand, which in the grand scheme of things, they all could have been millionaires, right? Wow. But as soon as they saw like more money than, you know, they're used to on a paycheck, they're like, I gotta, gotta self-destruct and then burn everybody else down, you know? And, and it's just like, so you, you wanna kind of test people with that. I don't know how you can do that. Like, um, but make sure they don't, they don't get greedy. Man. It, it happens. Yeah, that's uh wow. So I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about your highlight project. Cause like we, we've barely touched on that at all. And there's a lot to talk about with that. Sure. So, so is this the time? Yeah, I think it is. I think tell, right. tell me like how, like kind of where the idea started and tell, kind of tell us a little about what the project is, you know, and kind of like where, where it started and where it was going. Okay. So um, back when I was, after I was devving the last days of space, right? Like I mentioned, my artist had a full-time job and I was doing this on, you know, food stamps or whatever. Uh, I had finished the code for it and was waiting on the art. So I didn't want to waste time because time is money. Uh, I kept making a bunch of prototypes and I made like six other prototypes for games. Um, and one of them, I tried to come up with a sports game and I was trying to find like a little, you know, a niche market that I could tap into. And I was like, well, I don't think there's been a highlight game before. And I grew up in South Florida. My grandparents, actually, my grandfather worked at highlight for a oh. little bit. One of my dad's best friends was actually a manager at Tampa, the Ocala highlight. Um, so I always been around it, right? We were, it wasn't like the greatest thing, but like it was something I just knew that was like a common thing. I didn't realize like outside of Florida, not many people know about it, right? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, no one's made a highlight game before. Let me, let me go ahead and do that. So I, I originally was making it using Coco Studio. It was going to be on mobile on the on the phone. Um, it just didn't feel good with mobile controls. I didn't really like it, so I set it aside for for years. Um, and then uh, at Full Sail, when I'm teaching during lab, what I like to do, uh, just so I have something to do and the students can also kind of be inspired, like I would start new projects in in lab and kind of just be working on them during lab time, and they'd see it on their overhead and. Um, one day I'm trying to think of what to do. And I was like, all of a sudden it just like pulled out of my brain. This was like six years later. I'm like, wait, I had a highlight game before. Why don't I try and make that in <laughs> unity? And this time I'm, I was messing around with an Xbox controller at that time. So I'm like, let me make like a console version using like an Xbox controller. Yeah. 
So I started doing that. Uh, and for those who don't know what highlight is, it's uh, it's like think of racquetball, same type of rules where one team throws it at the wall and the other team has to grab it before it bounces twice. And if it bounces twice, you get points. Um, and then you have to throw it back. Uh, but you have like this big basket I have on my wall right there. That's a It's a basket that's literally tied to your hand. And then you have to catch it and throw it with that. These balls uh, move fast, like oh yeah. like really fast. <laughs> it's like over a hundred miles per hour. Yeah. Like people have, I think four people have died while playing it because they got hit in the back of the head. Right? Yeah, uh, you don't want to be near that ball. There, um, there's a Jackass episode where the guy's standing against the wall and a professional flings balls at or oranges at them. We using it. Yeah, you should check yeah. it out if you haven't seen it. <laughs> and so the Jackass guys are from uh, South Florida too, which is why they knew about it as well, right? So that's how they had access to it. Uh, so, um, I was making this game and it was really, really simple. You know, I, I was making this hundred percent of my own, just using like the little capsule collider for the graphics, uh, very, very primitive. And, um, it felt good. Something about the controls. I felt there was a little bit of potential here. Like this, it, it just was fun to play. So I was like, I need to get an artist to do this. So I was, uh, looking around for someone to make art, but keep in mind, this was one of my many prototypes. I actually set this aside for a little bit. Um, and I was making another game, which was for, based on kind of like being like a Twitch streamer, something like that. I even had like, I, I showed it to Twitch and they actually gave me permission to use all the emotes and stuff. And that was going to be my next game. Wow. But then I was like, you know what? Uh, I, I was, so I was concurrently working on highlight and that's when I met Karis. Um, Harris is the artist on the game. Um, she she was teaching at Full Sail as well, and I was like, I need someone who does like pixel art. I re I'm a really big fan of pixel art, and I'm a fan of like hand drawn 2D animation. And everyone's like, Oh, you got to meet Karis. <laughs> so they introduced me. I'm like, Oh, hey, how's it going? You're an artist. Cool. Let's uh, let's talk about this game. And she was only supposed to work on it for like a small amount of time. I think she was actually working. No, first I, I got her to work on my Twitch streamer game, right? But then I was like, You know, I have this other project, uh, this highlight game that I kind of need something and then and like so she gave me like just like a real uh rough artwork like just really really simple no animations i don't even think and um uh but it was enough that it was just representational and i took it to a convention and people were really liking it right and i had mm. people who um i've seen my other games actually tell me like this is your game with the most potential like this is your hit so i decided to stop working on my twitch game and put you know go full bore into this one Right. Um, and and I kind of abandoned the Twitch game because a year later, like three different games about being a YouTube streamer came out. So it's kind of like already <laughs> the market's kind of saturated. Um, and as a single developer, it would have taken a long time. But um, so I kept working on the Highlight game. Originally, it was called Highlight Heroes. And we go to conventions and something about it, people would keep coming back to our booth, especially like kids, like kids would love it. They'd like, you know, oh, the Highlight game and they'd, they'd you know, be a three day convention. They'd be there like the entire time. Some kids, times we'd get up with these like fanboy kids who would start like teaching people how to play so they'd have like opponents to play against. It was really cool. Nice. <laughs> um, and so we decided to, you know, ramp up dev on that. Uh, Karis and I would just be working again in our spare time. Uh, she would do all the artwork. I did all the game design, all the coding. I did some of the sound effects. And then a, a buddy of mine, uh, Aaron, who actually lives in Tokyo right now, he, uh, he used to be local here. He uh, did a really great job with the music and, and a lot of the other sound effects. But for the majority, it just Karis and I just making this game. And um, it was like, 
within like I say like two to three years of development, we thought we'd be ready to launch because we were showing it at a bunch of places. We were winning awards for the game and stuff. And we do like I remember we did like an indie Namacon showing of it, which is like a local game dev. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, coming soon. I think it was like 2018 or something, <laughs> right? And we've blown way past that. And uh, originally, <laughs> talking about launching it, uh, we put out a trailer. Uh, it looked pretty decent. Um, I was going to E3. I was thinking about putting it on the Switch. And I walked by Nintendo's booth, or their big section, right? And we were waiting in line to play whatever the current, the, whatever the new Halo game was, right? And I see Nintendo's booth, and I'm like, I'm going to make a, I'm going to, I'm just, make a run for it i'm gonna go to like you know kamikaze over there and so i just like ran to their booth and i'm like i've got a game i think you guys would like and you know i didn't get to have an appointment or anything i'm just like, i think i have a game you'd like and i showed them the trailer and they're like and i mentioned how it's going to be a local co-op game and i think that's what really sold them yeah. like we actually do like this and they gave me the contact info to become a, a switch dev um but i realized being on the switch we're going to have to do a lot of polishing. And like it's a game that's meant to be played competitively. There's going to be a lot of bugs we're going to find. It's going to be tricky or inconvenient to patch it, right, once it's out there. So I was like, maybe we should go to PC, um, make a Steam game where we could make it early access and we could iron out the bugs there. But then at uh, Free Play Florida, one of the, uh, the local events around here centered on arcade machines, I saw indie arcade games. And that's like was like this like whoa there's people make independent arcade machines like that's awesome yeah so I started doing some research on them I found out like the 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 big the number one is called uh, Killer Queen yeah right um and so I looked into that and I'm hanging out with this guy who uh, worked on this uh, arcade game called Cosmotrons uh, another indie arcade machine and he was real nice real helpful. And we go hang out at, what was that place called? Joysticks downtown in Orlando. Mm-hmm. It was a video game bar. And keep in mind, the Killer Queen devs are from New York, right? They're from Brooklyn. And um, I was talking to him like, dude, it would be so cool to meet the Killer Queen guys because like they have so much success. I'd love to ask them. And he looks past me and he goes, oh, they're right there. Like they just happened to be in town <laughs> in Orlando for uh, IAPA, which is uh-huh. like E3 for uh, arcade games, right? And they were they just happened to walk into the bar as we're talking about meeting these guys from Brooklyn. So it was so crazy. So we happened to like, we, we uh, connected, we're talking, we mentioned our game. I had like a, a, a laptop demo of our game and they really liked it and they were, they were really helpful as well, uh, Nick and Josh. And um, we got invited to a couple of their events uh, to like have a game on the side. Like, you know, when people are playing Killer Queen, they come over and check out this other soon to be indie arcade game and so like um uh that was you know things were ramping up we actually got a an, a deal we secured like a licensing deal for the not a licensing but a production deal they were going to manufacture the cabinets right and um then covid hit right ah, and so so many like, hey, stories and and then covid hit <laughs> yeah yeah so we got dropped because obviously uh there's no reason to be making games for arcades when no one can, everything is closed. Yeah. So we kind of sat on it. We didn't touch High Life for about like a year and a half, like very little. Cause that ultimate, that time I got my second full-time job. Um, and so I was very busy with that. And I was putting a lot of my focus into just, you know, paying off my debt. Like first thing I did when I got my two jobs, I paid off my student loans and started paying down my house and stuff. Nice. So just, just focusing on that. And then, I've kind of got used to that grind. And so I've had more free time to start working back on Highlight again. Um, another thing I forgot to mention though, it was called Highlight Heroes. The, the guy who was going to publish us, he's from the mid- Midwest or manufacturer. He's from the Midwest and he's like, we got a problem because 
everyone I show it to, they can't pronounce the game, the yeah. name of the game. They don't, they can't spell it. They don't know what it is. And I'm from South Florida. I'm like, everyone knows Highlight. There's, you know, even in Florida, there's a beer called Highlight, right? From Cigar City. It's uh, wonderful too. Tampa. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so he's like, you got to rebrand this because no one's going to know. And so Karis and I did some thinking and it's actually Karis came up with this and I love the idea. It's like, well, what do you do in the game? You throw the ball back. And what's the art style? It's a retro-inspired game. You know, we, we took a lot of inspiration from late 80s, early 90s art. Like, um, the movement's called uh, Memphis. But a lot of people just know it colloquially as, like, the Save by the Bell shapes in the background of the intro, right? Or, like, a bowling alley carpet, you know? And uh, so we, we rebranded the game. It's now Throwback, but we still kept Highlight Heroes as, like, the little tagline at the bottom. Oh, nice. The OGs, you know, remember. Uh, because also like people who are interested in highlight, there, there's a very small market of people who are actually like, oh wow, there's a game about highlight. Some of them are like ex highlight players. Some of them are people from countries like I think in the Philippines and, and uh, Vietnam. Some countries in South America, it's still actually a pretty popular sport. Yeah, that's what I hear. I I didn't know about it at all until I moved down here for full sale back you know 20 years ago. And then after mm -hmm. I left, most anywhere I went, people no one knew what it was. So. Yep. Even nowadays, like most of the frontons, that's like the arenas are they're closed down or they're only open for like a couple of weeks a year during like the season. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There there used to be one here in Orlando. It's not here anymore, right? It it's still there technically, but again, I think it it they use it for other things during the off season. Oh, right? okay. It's only like a really small amount of time that it's open. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, okay. You can still see the signs, like it has a little like silhouette of the highlight player, like on <laughs> if you go down I four and stuff, it'll be like highlight, you know, this exit. All right, man. Yeah, but yeah. I, so uh, I haven't uh, seen anything oh, about okay. it in years. Yeah. Well, what happened with Highlight too? There's actually a really good documentary called "What the Hell Happened to Highlight." <laughs> it's a a thirty for thirty, an ESPN one, where basically what happened was in the late '80s they had a player strike, right? Uh -huh. And it was the longest player strike in any sport. It was three years straight, so it just Whoa. killed all the momentum, right? Three years, no one knew anything. Highlight was closed down. So when they opened back up, it was way less attendance. And mm. that's when it started its like decline. Three years. That is a long strike. Man. Mm -hmm. Huh. Interesting. So yeah. so where where are you at now? Like like what's kind of the, the current current status and, and what's your you know near future plans? So we finally decided that we got to get this out. Mm -hmm. um, at the last Free Play Florida, we hooked up uh, with some people that uh, can help us make a, a new production cabinet. Uh, well, sorry, make up a prototype cabinet. And so we've been working on that for a little bit, but now we finally put a date. Um, we're trying to get it out November 18th at uh, this year's Free Play Florida. Oh, wow. Uh, we're not guaranteed to be there, but that's the goal. That's why we're working really hard around the clock right now. Um, should be we'll have the first cabinet it's only going to be a two-player <clears> cabinet but you know we'll be they'll be available in two-player or four-player like deluxe versions of it mm -hmm. um and so we had to spend time you know working on the artwork which is a whole nother beast like you have to make artwork that's you know up and scrolls up and down on this uh we call it the side of it and you have uh -huh. to like, make the marquee and everything and there's a lot of decisions involved with that so we have to like vectorize everything you know um, so we spent a long time with that. I've been also to convert it to the two player cabinet. It took me a long time to get all my code modular. So it works, but it's great now because now we could easily sell two player and four player cabinets because maybe it's too much money for someone or it takes up too much space. 
I found out a lot of barcades actually hate the four-player cabs because they, they take up too much space. And so oh. they like the skinnier uh, two-player ones. So doesn't Killer Queen do uh, eight, like two four-player cabins? does two five-player cabins. Two fives. They're the exception yeah. because yeah. it's like this big spectacle, right? And right. they have a built-in audience where like if you get a Killer Queen cabinet at your arcade, like you're guaranteed a lot of people are going to come just to, to play. Interesting. Is there... Pardon my ignorance for this, but is there any opportunity to like partner with them to be in their cabinet? Like, you know what I mean, like or something along those lines. Mm, no, I don't think so. I mean, someone probably could like hack in there or something, but, but <laughs> no, like to put it into someone else's cabinet, it's like weird branding. You know, what sure, I mean? yeah, yeah. And plus, like, there's there's a huge compared to what we want to go for. We're going for a more like slimmer. Like, we always think of NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. Mm. And more so in the, the old upright versions of NFL Blitz because there are some weird ones that have like the podium and like a big screen. We're, yeah. not, we're not going for that. Uh, yeah, and, and so like, you know, hopefully once the production cabs out, people can get a feel for the game. It's going to be at uh, Glitch Bar, which is a bar in Fort Lauderdale. That's okay. where the first one's going to be. Um, but I'm definitely going to be working on uh, Full Sail, trying to get one at the Fortress. Nice. <laughs> uh, that should be really cool. Um, so now when you say it's going to be at glitch bar, do you mean like you're installing a cabinet? Like we're like, so far, it seems like that will be the case. I don't know how long it's going to be there, but they, they seem pretty receptive to it. Like they're going to, they're going to have it in glitch bar. So talk, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Cause like, you know, traditional arcades, they would buy a machine and it's their machine and they make the quarters off of it. Is mm -hmm. it still the same way here? Or are they renting it from you or like, like how does the business model work now? Sure. So, um, this one, well, so this bar, a lot of barcades, it's like they, it's free to play, right? Mm -hmm. They're hoping they make money off the drinks or they charge a cover. I don't think they charge a cover every time I've been there. I've never uh, paid, but it, maybe there's some nights. But anyway, um, because they're the ones who are helping some of the guys who, who are associated with Glitch Bar are creating the cabinet, it's mm -hmm. their cabinet. And I'm just kind of, we're using uh... it as like the, the one to the test out how people receive it. Also, like they have a big Killer Queen audience down there. They, they know how to, they're really competitive, so they play competitive games very uh, in-depth, fierce, right? So having them play our game, hopefully they'll find all the bugs with it and they'll let me know like how to break the game and then I can issue patches. Uh, and what's cool nowadays, we can have Wi-Fi connected or, or LAN connected, uh, or not LAN, just like Ethernet connected uh, cabinets and we can issue yeah. you know, hotfixes like on the fly, which yeah. is awesome. I love that. But talking about the, the actual production models right um it's going to be you know usually what happens is you work at a deal like you have a certain price if you most of the time it's going to be a fixed price because we have how much it costs to produce the cabinet and then also the you know i gotta get money back for all the year i literally put you know six years into this game it's like right. i gotta get profit per cabinet because that's like the r d behind it right yeah same with karis same with everybody else involved and um it, it, it will be multiple thousands of dollars, but I can't put a fixed price on it just sure. yet. Yeah. And so dev, like not devs, but uh, the operators, operators is a term for the people who own arcade games. A lot of times bars, they don't own them. It's an operator who leases them to the arcade, right? So you have to start talking to the operators and like, they want to know how many quarters, if they do charge, if it's a place where they do charge, how many quarters per minute or, you know, per hour will this bring in? And so we had to do a lot of reframing of our game when we went from being a, a console game to arcade, speeding up a lot of the uh, 
the transitions from from screen to screen, putting timers on things so you, players couldn't just like sit around and dally, yeah. dilly dally or whatever. Because you have to get users through it if you want to be in the court, the, the still coin up uh, arcades, not the free to play <laughs> ones, right? Man, um, coin up arcades were built to take your quarters, right? Like like mm-hmm. back in the day, it was the whole the whole goal. The design was around it. Well, what's what's sad though is like they're not as much as they are nowadays. They've they've really ramped it up. If you go to like a Dave and Buster's, right, a traditional like family entertainment mm-hmm. center, those games always end at like four minutes. Yeah, like you yep. can't play a game that's longer, even if you're good at the game. It yeah. ends regardless. It'll that's say true. Like, yeah, congratulations. Put more money in to keep playing. And so like games, all that we love, like the like Pac Man. The fact that you could play for hours on a single quarter, they would be like, get that out of our arcade. Like, that makes us no money, right? Same with, like, Street Fighter 2, where, like, if you win, you get to keep playing. Nowadays, it would be like, thanks for playing. You won. Now everyone has to put money back in to play again, right? That's true. Yeah, that is true. So they've really uh, made that more aggressive. And so we have to adapt to that. So that's why our game is a lot quicker than it used to. Um, You know, even as you play the game... Uh, the ball will speed up every shot as a way. So if you get too good and everyone's kind of going at a good pace, it'll make it tougher and tougher. Interesting. So, so Matt, so how does it work if let's say, let's say I approach you and I'm like, Hey, I want to have one of your machines in my business, but I just want to like, I want to rent it from you. I just want to draw a business, right? So let's say you're at a place where you can provide a cabinet but there's no like coinage happening here. It's just like, so I assume, is there a business model for that? Like, you're like, okay, we'll give you this machine for a thousand dollars a month. Like, like, you know, like what, Mm -hmm. is is that a thing too? Right. Um, We would be open to it, but just know that you would be on the hook for any damages. Right. And and arcades, people can play tough sometimes. So it's like, if we looked, we would have to like, kind of like renting a car, you know, like you, or you haul, you look at all, you look at it and you're like, okay, there's nothing wrong with it now. And then, if it comes back damaged, it's like, well, now we got to bill you, you this, right? Yeah. Um, but the other, the other style, if we were to do like a rev share on the coins, mm. um, I've talked to some arc, indie arcade owners who do that. They don't recommend it because it's a lot of like hassle, right? You have to keep checking with them, and there's ways to make sure there's no fraud, right? Like you can have a, a coin encounter that like knows how many coins have gone through it, but like the amount of money you're making, right? It, it, Sometimes you have to go there and like empty out the quarters and help them. It depends on how the arrangement is, right? Yeah. Maybe I would be agree to do that with some local business here in Orlando just to like see how that works. But I don't know if I would go, you know, nat- nationwide or global with that. I- I'd re- much rather be in the, hey, we'll you will sell the arcade thing cabinet to you, and it's up to you. Whatever you want to do with it, it's all you. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I assume though, there's some level of like, what is your thought process on on getting awareness built so the, so you got you got your first one that's going in you, you're going to now expand into like like ideally you would like one in every bar right mm-hmm. how do oh, you yeah. how do you like how do you start to build toward the awareness and getting it in more places like what's what's that look like so first thing would be just getting it in the ones that are enthusiastic about in the arcade game so for example glitch bar down in Fort Lauderdale, that they have like so they have like i want to say like 10 to 15 indie arcade games there already mm. And so people there already are aware of that, right? Um, and then as you 
you also have to have a good reputation. We're hoping our game is fun. We're hoping people will want to play it. And so people will talk about it. And then there will be more like requests for them, right? Because arcade yeah. owners, they, they don't buy new games as long as it'll bring them some sort of benefit, right? Because they're like, why would I buy your new game at multiple thousands of dollars when I can buy a refurbished Street Fighter machine for like 1500 you know, or yeah. even less? Um, and then there's, there's also collectors. Uh, there are people that I can get interest in it just the fact that it's a new arcade game by an indie developer because it's kind of a collectible thing it's a limited edition type thing you know it yeah. might be worth money more in the future so people are already on board just because of that um i mean we're, we're going to try and raise awareness through um spreading through those communities so there's a really great uh, podcast that also has a youtube channel they're called indie arcade wave karis and i have both been on it uh together to talking about that and oh, they cool. interview lots of other indie arcade devs and they share everything. So I, I totally recommend that if that's something you're interested in. Um, but the, the goal is we want to raise a actual, cause it's a competitive game. We want to raise a competitive community around it and we call it the casual competitive community. So the same type of people who are into Windjammers, smash bros, killer queen, obviously yeah. um, where it's not hard to get into, but it's a little bit tougher to master the, like the meta in the game. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have teams and you do tournaments and things like that. Because if you can foster a community around your game, then you're really well off because these people will kind of drive you to success, right? So we're, we've been showing it off at competitive tournaments like CEO, um, DreamHack. We went to DreamHack once. Have you seen the show The Bear? It's a new show. No. It's on Hulu. You should check it out. The first episode does something like this. And it's, okay. it's really interesting. Uh, the, the 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 basis of the show is a guy is like taking over a family restaurant. He's trying to figure out ways to kind of up the business. And one of the things he does is has a tournament for the game. Mm -hmm. And so like, it's very similar to the kind of thing you're talking about. With, and I thought that was a pretty neat thing. It's the first episode. You should check it out. It's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. yeah I'll check it out. Yeah. So we got like 10 minutes left. So is there anything we haven't touched yet, touched on yet that, that you want to make sure we talk about, or, you know, I, I'm not even sure if there's anything we haven't addressed at all, you know? Mm -hmm. I, we definitely talked about Indie, which is good. We talked about, uh, I mean, we didn't talk too much about being an, an educator, right? Being an instructor, but uh, there's there's some stuff there. Um, we also haven't talked much about the music part of things. So are we sure. going to have you come back on? Is that, is that what a... Or do we got hey, like <laughs> what is what what is your, your crowd think if they if they want me back on I'll be back on man yeah man I I think we probably do have enough to to have a third episode because we like that I want to I do want to dig more into the educator side of things because there's there's so much like and we shared a classroom so there there's a little bit like like my time there was was spent a lot with you so mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things there we can talk about as well. Um, for sure. It's such a, such a rewarding experience. We've got people in the chat now that, you know, that were in my, like I was only in the classroom for like nine months and still have close relationships with, a, you know, a good amount of those students. You know, it's just such a, mm -hmm. such a, a wild experience overall. Yeah. There's a couple in the chat right now yeah. right? who are former students. Absolutely. It's cool. So now I'm kind of like, well, maybe we shouldn't touch on it at all yet. We should have a whole other episode about it. I'm, I'm down for that, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then music and education or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the music part too, because, you know, the, there's, I, I have a feeling there's a lot of parallels between music and any development, right? Like there, that we can dig into uh, quite yes. a bit. Yes. Uh, I mean, because indie music is very, yeah, the same approach, right? Uh, yeah. I will say there's the, the bar 
I want, I want to say the caliber of person and their work ethic, though, they're expected to have less of a work ethic in the music scene, right? Because it's just, that's the type of uh, type of person that gets drawn to that, where in indie games, you have to be very informed, right? So yeah. you have to know a whole lot. And in indie music, it's kind of, you just have to be creative. So there's a little, little bit of, of a different type of person. Yeah, and I want to, man, there's, I have a lot of questions about that. I'm going to write some down because I think we can definitely talk quite yeah, a sure. bit about that kind of stuff too. <clears throat> well, I mean, oh, how, I think we talked about this before, but if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Best way to reach out to me, um, let's see if you're, I guess, Brian at astrocrow.com. Okay. That would probably be, be my best way. Uh yeah, I don't, I don't really do social media that much. Um, I don't even have a lot of accounts for, for places like that. Um, we're on Twitter at Astro Crow Games. I believe our Instagram is Astro Crow Games as well. Uh, we have a Facebook for that stuff too. Awesome. That's mm -hmm. great. All right, man. Well, I feel like this is probably a pretty good spot for us to, to wrap up for today. And uh, we'll talk about finding another time because we've still got plenty of stuff to cover. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks I for having me on. Yeah, man. I appreciate you, and uh, we'll find some time, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. See you guys later. Later. Hey, thanks for watching. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications below so you'll know when new episodes are ready. If you're interested in the audio version of the podcast, I've got links for that in the show notes for you. And if you want to join us live and get your own questions answered, we're at twitch.tv forward slash Jameson Doral every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Have a good week, and we'll see you soon. Before we jump over to that, do you want to take a second to give a little bit of an overview of what the game is and what your involvement was with it? Yeah, absolutely. So Vagrant Song, which I got the cover right here, is a two to four player, fully cooperative boss battler campaign game uh, where you play as vagrants on a haunted ghost train. Uh, if you're not super familiar 